All right, hello and welcome to episode three of Maritime Matters. I'm Captain Morgan DeWicke. I'm excited to have with me today my favorite Mena, uh, Captain Bill, Bill Van Voris. He's a semi-retired tugboat captain uh, with 40 years of experience in the marine construction industry. Um, really awesome guy, friend of NMI. We love having him around, dear friend. Um, he was the president of the student ports uh, for the International Propeller Club uh, for some time and is now the regional vice president uh, for the North Atlantic region of the International Propeller Club. So excited to have you. How are you doing? Hey, great. How are you? Good, good. You holding out up there? Yeah, we're good. We, we've got good weather, so we're able to get out and walk around mowing my lawn already. Yeah, yeah. Spring is here, so. It's been pouring rain here today, man. Yeah. I'm excited we're doing this because I get an excuse to not be in a sweatshirt and sweatpants, so throwing a tie and jacket on. <laughs> I can take my gloves off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll get started. We'll talk about your career a little bit. Um, you're in a very unique, we're in a very unique sector of the industry uh, working on tugs and I think a lot of people will be interested to hear from you. And uh, so you're pretty much a Haas Piper is the term in the industry. Um, why don't you get started telling us what a Haas Piper is and, and how you get got started into the industry? Sure. I started from, I went to college, went to a, a land-based college of civil engineering. And, and when I got out, I, I, uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a whole lot of experience on the water then, but I, I went to work for a marine construction company out of here, out of Portland, Maine. And, and at the time we were doing a lot of hard hat diving and had tugboats and barges and so on. And these old tugboats were hogspipe boats, they call them. They, were, they ran with a, they towed with a, a big piece of rope. And ha, the hawser is the rope. And, yep. and the, that term came from, hogspiper came from, from guys from the old school, like old guys like me, long before winches and before ATB pin boats or anything, you, you towed with, with a hawser. You coiled it up at night when you were done with it, and you, you ran it out, and you pulled it back in all by hand. And yep. when it was frozen, 8-inch diameter stuff, it was big stuff. And it was frozen, it was stiff, and, and the guy really earned his keep. And so that's what a hawspiper is, a old-timer that's... That's worked his way up through the hard way and not, not necessarily an academy guy. Right, right. So really working off experience. You didn't go to school to do this. You kind of jumped right into the industry and, and got your hands dirty. And yeah. Learn yeah, from I, the I ropes up, so to speak. <laughs> and then you always will be that way in this business. You're always going to be a deckhand. And, yeah. And the guy that thinks he's not going to be is, is fooling himself. But. Yeah. Even your best captain's going to be a good deckhand. Yeah. I think that's something you've kind of, when you're here lecturing to the students, uh, when we bring you in for special guest events, it's it's really telling them, hey, you got to be a learner all the time. Uh, you can't just learn it now and expect to waltz in and, and not adapt and and learn new things every day that you're in the industry. So I'm sure, you know, you're still learning new things and, and you have 40 years experience in it, so. Yeah, the, the day you don't learn is the day you, you slept through the whole day. Everybody learns. You need to be learning. Yeah. You need to be a cook. You need to be a, 
a good deckhand and, and you need to be a good captain too. And yeah, everybody does all, all aspects of that. Yeah. Course of a day. So, uh, why don't you tell us kind of how you got started? Um, what, what was the connection that got you in, into the industry? I know you said you were start, sort of working shoreside construction, I think, and then you kind of started evolving into more of the marine um, aspect of it. Yeah, the, the port where I, where I live in uh, Portland, South Portland, Portland Harbor, is surrounded by marine terminals with, with oil terminals on one side and dry cargo on the other side of the river. And, and they all need maintenance. Our old bridge, our old million-dollar bridge, they coined it. Had a 96-foot draw span, and all these ships that were at the time were 85, 90 feet wide, and that had all wooden fenders. And we all, so my company maintained all these piers and all these these bridge fenders and so forth. And, and we did work on on vessels as well. And we had our own equipment. And, and I got started uh, as a diver. Actually, I was into scuba diving as a kid, and, and my company had a lot of hard hat work going on old Navy hard hats and then the newer modern Miller hats. And I tried a little enough of that to, to know I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. <laughs> and that up shortly. And then I, I watched these guys on the tugboats and they seemed to be having a pretty good time compared to the, what I was going through. And so that's where I ought to be. And, well, you can jump in that, enough, jump in that hot engine room. You're not freezing your butt off. <laughs> I was the guy out of the air and in I went. You yeah. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! So that was you know, our old boat was 1873. It was originally steam. Our big boat of the, of yep. the fleet originally steam had diesel power when I got on it, and I ended up being the captain of it at, right before we sold it. It went overseas to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. But all the time it was in the states. Uh, at the end of its life, I was I was a skipper of it. Yeah. And that was a real hot boat. That was a real. Uh, rope boat you know and, and uh, boy we did a lot of work for it we towed from new york to eastport maine with it and, yep. and you know all these boats in the especially maine the weather's your winters are seven months long you know and, yep. and uh, it's pretty tough going sometimes and you either learn how to do things right or, or you get in trouble and there's been a lot of getting trouble and, and getting a lot of trouble but uh, so i got out of the diving got into the onto the boats and on the barges you had to be good handling cranes and moving around equipment knowing where you needed to be where you didn't want to be and watching the weather and predicting weather for the guys so the guys on the barges were pretty much straight ahead doing the work they didn't think ahead of the weather and things and so the guys on the boats were, were the watchful eye for them and yeah got involved with that Now, yeah, I, no, go ahead. Why don't you tell us um, kind of about your favorite project um, that you worked on? It, it, you had mentioned working on an outfall pipe project, and perhaps you could tell us what an outfall pipe is and uh, kind of how how cool and interesting the project was. So, March of nineteen seventy eight, I married the most wonderful lady in the whole world. We're still together. We've been forty two years. And immediately after the wedding, our talk had been, do you travel much? And at the time, the most traveling I did was to Bath Ironworks in Bath, Maine, about 30 miles from my home. Yep. I said, no, I, we don't travel at all. Well, about a week later, the company picked up this outfall project in Brant Rock, Massachusetts, which is between Situate and Plymouth. 
and an outfall pipe is the very end of a treatment plant. The treatment plant picks up all the stuff in town and it goes in and gets treated and then this gray water goes out to the end of this pipe and all your, your outfall pipes are installed in the ocean in the guts of the ocean that and this one was 3,000 feet long. It was concrete, heavy pipe. It had to or it wouldn't stay on the bottom and so we had all our fleet we towed the whole fleet to Massachusetts from Maine, and, and after I got through explaining to my wife that it's a seasonal job, it's just going to be, I won't be gone very long, just all winter, two years in a row. <laughs> so, <laughs> that yeah. went but, but the money, the money was phenomenal at the time. I was at home, I was making like $2.50 an hour, and this was six fifty an hour no to go to see, and I said, this is, this is huge, and, and at the time it was, and this is 1978. 79. So all the barges went down and one dug the ditch and one laid the pipe and the divers were hooking the pipes together and, and had big blocks of concrete at the end. A lot of heavy stuff, a lot of big cranes, a lot of bad weather. We stayed on moorings at night with the tugs. We had two tugs. Stayed on moorings outside at night and if the weather got bad, this was long before cell phones, there was no way to get a hold of anyone. They were all in town chasing down these dance halls and stuff and we were stuck out on these moorings with yeah, no way yeah. to call anybody and, and three or four times we we lost equipment during the night because the, we couldn't get to the crew and, and at the end the job finished very well uh ended up in court the conditions were not what was planned it was very hard ledge where it was supposed to be soft diggable material to put a pipe in and, yep. and they went to court and they wanted in court and paid the bills but uh I got an experience there on, on how to run barges up and down the coast and, and how not to not to do it and get in trouble, you know. And yeah. Our only way in at night, if we did get a chance to go in, if we had to go in for weather, we could go into Situ, it was eight miles one way, Plymouth was eight miles the other way. We were right in between them yep. with a port big enough to tow everything in. And, and so that's how we did We lost a crane twice, got it back twice and put it back to work immediately and well, the, the good thing is no one got hurt successful job that way and that's the most important thing you know yep so we got through that and then i picked up a bunch of other small jobs in wells maine and cape elizabeth maine same idea elf fall pipes they were a tough job nobody really wanted to bid them because they were so tough and the, the risk was huge yep but they were a huge money job for the company and Now they have jack-up barges. They take them right out and jack them up in the air and, and don't worry about the weather. Yeah, they yeah. They still have that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, training and sort of safety standards. And that's what we're here for at the school, right? It's uh, making sure people are qualified to take care of themselves, take care of the vessel, and, and really have a, a good knowledge base. Um, I know we were talking a couple months ago we were driving back from Maine, I think, and um, you kind of told me a story of um, sort of a lack of industry standards, and it kind of took tragedy to, to kind of get standards put in place. And kind of tell us how those standards have evolved since you got started to when you retired a few years ago. Back when we did that outfall, there were no standards. There was, there was, you were on your own, and you, you, 
you work for each other, you watch for each other, you took care of each other, and, and you still do to this day, but there were no rules and regulations, there was no, it was mostly common sense on the right thing to do at the right time. The equipment was probably the worst in the world for safety issues and so on, but that's all there was. Everybody dealt with the same issues, and, and you got through the end of the job. Like I said, no one got hurt drastically, I and mean, a lot of people got hurt small items and, and took care of it. But uh, So the company, my company, which is probably the safest company on the, actually the East Coast, uh, took it upon themselves, the president, the owner of the company, the president of the company, had a guy get killed. The guy fell off a bridge in Connecticut, and, and uh, that was the last fatality in the company. And the guy, he had to go to the funeral, and his little daughter pulled on his pant leg and wanted to know why why he killed his dad her daddy, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And at the end of that, on Monday morning, he said, I will never go through that again, and here's what we're going to do. And they, they designed and came up with a tie-off policy so you'll never unhook. They designed with all these rules and regulations long before the Coast Guard or OSHA ever heard of them. Yeah. And this company was a huge success in, in keep, keeping people safe. They are to this day. Yep. And now they're 4,000 people strong, and they're in 40 states, and they were a little main company. So this guy was a forward thinker, a, a proactive guy, and he really took care of us all. Yeah. No. But I didn't – I watched out for myself, too, and you had to do that. You had to – you had to say no when it was time not to go on a tow. If you had a barge, you had to go. You had to say no. Yep. And a lot of people didn't like to do that. They were worried about their jobs and so on. I said, well, you're not going to have a job if you go and you get in a mess. Yeah, yeah. And you lose it all. Yeah, smart. So, yeah. And safety-wise, I ended up being in the training program for the company for a lot of years at the end of it for about 10 years. And I did a whole marine training, marine safety training bulletin I wrote about 60 pages for the company and, and every area we had offices in Baltimore and, and out in the, the Gulf and everywhere and every office took this on as a as gospel and, and they still use it today and that was that was a very very smart thing to do at the time because they could save a lot of people's lives and from getting hurt you yeah know? and Northeast Maritime was a big part of that because at the time I mean, years ago, when I first started, the, a license was handed to a guy. For instance, if my two captains that I worked for fished on the Grand Banks in dories yep. at a young age, and they handed them licenses, I think mainly because they were stupid enough to do it, but uh, they they got unlimited any oceans licenses just for fishing in the Grand Banks, yeah, not yeah. just for fishing, probably the hardest thing anybody's ever even thought of doing. Right. Now, this this day and age, the licenses are, and the training for deckhands and so on is, is huge and, and and needs to be. And, and, yep. and that is paying big dividends. That's keeping people safe. And some people get used to get upset about it. Like, well, the, think about it. The Coast Guard, all they're doing is they're trying to protect you, trying to save you, trying to let you go home at the end of a watch right. in one piece. Right. This is what... My goal as a safety officer in a company was to it was to let people allow people the option to go home safely and in one piece. And and after a little bit of arguing, most people enjoy that. They they like going home. Not yeah. Hurt. So, 
Tell us about these jack-up barges and sort of, you were talking about them a, a couple months ago. It's pretty interesting to hear how they operate and kind of let people know how um, these massive structures out in the water are being built, whether it be bridges or um, now in the U.S. we're getting into the offshore wind industry. Um, now it's more prevalent overseas. We're starting to see it here. But how are these, these structures set up um, using cranes nowadays versus back then? They've been around a while. The oil industry in the past down the Gulf, they've used them for a long time in shallow water. They've been a, always been a shallow water, which means shallow in this industry is around 300 feet or less. Okay. You jack up, you, you take them out, you tow them out to the site with four legs in them, and then you have to run the legs down till they touch. And the minute they touch the bottom, then you add more pieces and you, or they long enough you drive them into the mud and you, you pick the, the platform right up out of the water enough so that bad weather doesn't bother it and you'll see them in the gulf all the time and, and they have jack up ones and they have these semi-submersible ones that's that hold on their own on a gps a satellite will tell them to stay right here and we did my company built two of them in portland maine they came up came up from the gulf they had started construction and the company ran out of money, and so they called us to see if we could finish them off. Meant put the platform on the legs and put the tower on the legs, and, and we did. We very successful at it. And that was a semi-submersible, two of them. And they stayed on their own, a GPS. If they had bad weather, this 8-inch pipe would unscrew itself at the mud line, and the barge could go away and come back, and the GPS would screw that pipe back onto itself down there 400, 500 feet deep. Wow. Incredible. Wow. And so we did those in, 19, in 2004. We built, we built two of them. They're, they went to work 2004. Last year, they just scrapped the two of them. That's how the oil industry changes. Wow. Those were obsolete 14 years later, 15 years later. That's crazy. Uh, we've been around a long time. In the construction business, smaller scale, a lot of bridges in, in rivers where there's a lot of current use them, and that's that's a godsend for work like that. Yeah. We, we built our own homemade barnyard welders. We built this platform. We had to drill and blast the, the ditch in that job I told you about at Brant Rock, and so we put an air track, a drilling rig up on top of this thing, and, and the biggest danger of the whole thing was not when it was up in the air or when it was floating, but it was... The minute the legs touch the bottom, because there's always a swell, a ground swell, and you had to, real quick, like you had to get all four legs down at the same time. Boy, it took a beating, and, and once again, nobody got hurt, and they, they ended up losing it on a, in a storm over Christmas that second year. It got destroyed and went up on the beach in pieces. And, yeah. But uh, it's a common thing. It, it's, it's Like I said, they're shallow water. They're going to be ideal for offshore wind. Mm -hmm. Offshore wind is not a real deep water event yet, and they will be either jackups or the semi-submersibles with the with the uh, GPS to hold them in place. But yeah, the cranes that are on them are uh, they call anti-way or there's a name for them, but they they they're compensating, they're self-compensating, so that the ball, the heading ball, the, the hook doesn't move, even yep. though there could be a 20-foot sea. And that, that's a huge thing. The rigs that we worked on had that. 
it's self-compensating. And, and um, so a guy could land a piece of steel up there, even though the barge was moving up and down 20 feet. That's pretty cool. It, every day it changes. Every day, if you're in the industry and go away and come back two years later, you'll see a whole different new set of theories and yeah. rules and regulations. Pretty cool. So one of the cool things about tugs um, is the, the Z drive, the azimuth drive. And perhaps you can tell us about sort of when that started coming around and uh, what its advantages are. And because I know you, you definitely came up on, on twin screws and so forth. So uh, maybe you can explain the difference. I think it'd be really cool for people to, to hear how these tugs propel themselves. They're, they've been around a while. The French... Uh, came up with the first one. The, the voice, voice Snyder was the first designer, and actually, they're, they're giant egg beaters, is what they are, or outboard motors that turn all the way around. If you look at it that way, there's two, two in the stern, and most of the boats, and they turn all the way around. Or you can turn one and keep the other one straight, or whatever. They, they're very handy for ship docking, uh, more so than they are for towing offshore. Yeah. Big Alaskan water. Toes are done with conventional twin screw boats, but when they get near shore, they they are picked up by these tractor tugs that they call them. And, and then that, the voice Snyder is one single drive that or it can be twin, but they're different. They have the veins that turn like in a hydro project, like in a dam. Yep. And as they adjust, that's your thrust, whether you're going straight forward or back or to the right or whatever. And some of those boats, they go faster sideways than a convention boat. Conventional boat will go straight ahead. Wow, yeah. the power they have. They're building them now, 5,000, 6,000 horsepower. And almost all your ports have at least one to dock ships. And the, right. the owners of the ship companies are, are mandating, I want tractor tugs to, to right. handle my equipment. You know? So most tugs, this- most tugs are, are twin screw, meaning they have two engines, two propellers. Um, and basically these azimuth drive tugs, um, this propulsion system allows these tugs to basically spin on a dime 360 degrees. So the maneuverability is, is incredible. So that's what you're saying is basically, you know, when you're trying to dock a ship, a larger ship in port, um, being able to maneuver this, this tug 360 degrees, you could literally shoot it sideways if you want. Um, it's a it's a big advantage to, to docking ships. It is, yeah. They have uh and and they have a Z drive class and, and uh Z drives will take asthma thing boat will take a ship through narrow waters with through like Chelsea Creek and places in Boston and, and narrow areas where it's tough maneuvering for the ship itself and so they'll help they'll hook onto the bow of one and tow it through. Right. And they'll have another one on the stern as a safety. And, and a lot of your your big terminals, your big VLCC terminals, will do these test, these drills. They put them on the stern with a single headline up. And if they lose steering, if the ship loses steering, which happens more than people know, steering and propulsion, if they lose, right. then this that's on the stern is capable and able to stop that ship in a short length of time, a reasonable length of time, and also it can it can steer for the ship from a back right. on the stern. And it's a huge safety factor 
they do annual testing on it. They do uh, these big these big tankers are really liking having those, yeah. those big tractors around. There's, there's a couple at the Cape Cod Canal. They escort all the barges and ships over ninety, maintained maintained it. Oil barges crude and, and heavy oil barges will be tethered to a tractor going through the Cape Cod Canal. It's a big deal. Yeah. And the, it's, uh, the boats are expensive. They're expensive to build and to maintain, but, but they, uh, they do the trick, you know. It's, yeah. it's the way of the future. No, the you're... lines, biggest, the biggest uh, fallback in the whole area is the line that you hook to, you tied to. Steel cable is, has been the, the norm for a lot of years, and now it's been replaced with a spectral line, which is, which is uh, carbon fiber, right. totally unbreakable. With no stretch, there's no stretch to it at all. So when it breaks, if it ever does break, it just falls in the water. It doesn't snap back and kill people. And right, right. Break windows, it just falls in the water, and, and it'll last forever. The, the enemy of it is the sun. Yeah. And so you keep them covered up. But the, each of them has a big winch on the front of it, and that's what that winds that spectra line up. So it's 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 foolproof for a deckhand. It's it's better for a deckhand to be able to hook up to a ship and and the winches are all operated by the captain in the wheelhouse so the guy can the deckhand can stare it out of the way all the yeah. time and that's that's a good deal it's funny you bring that up because earlier you mentioned um hawser you know you get like four to eight inch diameter rope and what size now are they using uh with spectra for for towing line not even close yeah, our, our hawser was our hawser was eight inch diameter on our big boat, and we bought a roll of that Spectre. It was one inch. Wow! To, to wow! <laughs> equal to what that eight inch vanilla, vanilla we call it. Yeah, and it's light. It's light inch, stuff you know, as like well. Inch inch yeah, that's amazing. So one of the cool things about NMI here is we have a Z drive uh, simulator, and that thing is a blast to use. I think the the coolest thing for me is if you get the twin twin drive azimuth, you can literally keep the boat in its spot in its place um, without using what we call dynamic positioning devices. Um, so just using the the vectors or the angles of the two um, jets, basically, um, you can keep the boat stable in any position uh, and keep it essentially fixed. And with a traditional screw engine, you could not do that. Um, it's forward or back, or you know, you're working on a much bigger radius, and it's a blast. And you know, hopefully one day I'll, if it's just for fun, even I, you know, having you run me through all the towing assessment stuff would be a blast. It's tough. A twin screw boat is tough to get alongside a ship and to get on a ninety degree angle. You do your most. Your best advantage if you're a 90 degree angle to the ship. If the ship's moving up river three, four, five knots, you're not going to twin screw that that tugboat that that hard against the current. And right. So a tractor will shove itself right around side two, and it can handle it. It can take it without swamping, without going under. And, and uh, or if they want, they can run fore and aft, but just push the thrusters sideways. They can do all their thrusting. Right. Headed up. But just run the two screws to the right, you know. Yeah. Pretty cool. They've been around long enough now, so they're 
they've got them so that they can pull the drives out if they have to do maintenance on them. Yep. You can pull the drives out through holes in the stern up top on the deck without having to dry dock the, the boats. And that wow. was their first big problem. Wow. They used to have to dry dock them all the time to do any kind of work. And now you just, there's a plate that comes off and you pull the drive out, you put a plate over the hole. I didn't know that. And you send the Rolls Royce out to get it worked on and, and put it back in afterwards. And there are a lot of French Rolls Royces. One, there's, there's five different outfits that make them. And they all have their own pluses and minuses, you know. But it, it's, it's a good setup. So can I kind of want to have you pitch the school a little bit. Um, I feel like each time we talk, you bring up how awesome the, the associate degree program is here. So why don't you tell us about sort of the advantages of the, the college program here? Um, why you think it's so important? Why you think it's so special? Because I know you're always bragging on it. So um, why not <laughs> brag on it to some more people here? Can I show off my 1984 tie first? My Northeast American You got your any tie? tie? Look at that. I don't even have one of those. <laughs> Eric, Eric wants that bad, but I'm not going to give it up. <laughs> yeah, I've taken classes there, uh, almost all my license classes since the 80s and 90s were taken at Northeast because it was a professional school. I, I've taken classes at a lot of other ones. I took, uh, I won't mention names, but I've been to about every one of them on the East Coast and and as far as Baltimore on up, and and they're all good. I mean, everybody has their own their own good points, and and some are better than others. I think Northeast Maritime is is the premier school of all of them yep. that I've been to. And then the two year program came along, the two year college program, associate's degree with a license. That's incredible. Uh, one of the academies, maybe more than of the academies, has the same idea, but it, it's it's more regimental. It's more with the mandatory sports and this and that and so on. And this class at Northeast Maritime is, if I'd had it, if it was around my younger day, before you were born, yeah, yeah. I would have taken that in a heartbeat. And actually, my son is, my son has the same license I have. He ships out of Norfolk, Virginia on a tugboat. And he's a captain. And he's taken all his classes at Northeast. And he's a very accomplished mariner, and I'm proud of him. He's got, he's got a lot under his belt for a young guy. He's 30, 32. And but he's learned so well from from your instructors at that school, and and yeah. and, and then the hands-on experience he's gotten working for, for great mariners all up and down the coast, and and uh, he'll go far, he'll go a long ways. And he did the same thing; he went and got married, and then he shipped out. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, she couldn't educate. Him. <laughs> but Northeast Maritime, the two-year associate's degree, I, I know a lot of kids that are taking it, and hundred percent placement. Up to this point, I think things are great. Uh, good jobs, good paying jobs, and they're the jobs that they they came to school to learn. And yeah, I know the owners of the shipping companies, or the tractor tug companies, or the ferries, or whoever they they hire on. A lot of them hire on full time when they get out of school because they intern summers with them, and they liked them so much. They liked the the Northeast Maritime mentality. The the uh, professionalism and the, the respect and so on that that they picked them right up full time after school and that's great but knowing you've got a job after school makes it all worthwhile yeah. nobody the college knows that yeah conventional yeah. college nobody has that luxury uh and the money is great the, the schools 
really done a good job with the internship. The interns are great. They, they appreciate having them. And, and I'm proud to be associated with the school. Great, great operation. We, we love having you. And I got to be honest, I'm jealous of all the college program kids because they've got people like you as mentors um, while they're in school, kicking them in the butt a little bit, teaching them right from wrong, giving them advice. So um, thank you for doing that because I know they all appreciate it and they're having a blast. And it, it's really good for them to have that experience and, and people who really care, you know, not just from the Institute, but people associated with the Institute come back and, and really invest in them. So I know they appreciate it and we appreciate it. So. Well, they, they've got a lot of work ahead of them when they get out. It, it, it isn't all over when the day they hit the streets. It's just beginning for all, every right. one of them. And they really have to go, go to work and show that they are interested, show that they respect their elders and respect the, the company owners and the vessels, the, the condition of the vessels, keep them up good. And everything I hear so far is these students are, are into that. They really they enjoy working for good companies. They enjoy working on, on good, clean ships and, and boats and and, uh, and being safe. Safety is the number one thing. And they learn so much safety at school without it being beat into them, which it is in a lot of places. Uh, it's a very successful operation for everybody. Win-win for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. This is uh this has been a blast. This has been fun. Hopefully, uh, this virus passes over soon, so I can get up there. We can get some breakfast at Becky's. <laughs> um, there you go. But yeah, thanks for Tell doing you, this. One more last little pitch. It isn't all roses. There are nights and days. I really wish I'd taken a different business at hand than what I chose. But they were very few compared to the good days, and and now. I'm at the age now where I really am glad I did what I did. You know, I mean, yeah. I was, I've run boats from here to, from Maine to Galveston and Texas and, and I do it again in a heartbeat, especially if I could take the class, the two year class, you know, keep them safe, man. Keep them safe. Yep. All right. Well, be well. Uh, we'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Sounds good. Thank you. All right.